Today's podcast is brought to you by Bespoke Post. Bespoke Post is a monthly membership club delivering awesome boxes of top-shelf goods from under-the-radar brands and small businesses. It's free to join. Every month, Bespoke Post introduces their members to cool new products, such as outdoor gear, barware, home and kitchen goods, clothing, and even oysters, based on a preference quiz they fill out when signing up. Members are all about discovering cool new goods they probably wouldn't have found anywhere else and that spark their next hobby, experience, or conversation. They really prize high quality and value. Here's how it works. You'll get a box assigned to you at the start of each month based on your preferences, and before it's shipped, you'll get a preview of what's to come inside to decide if you like it. You can, one, keep it, two, swap it for a different box or offer, or three, skip the month entirely for absolutely no charge. You will only pay for what you want. The box lineup changes every month, so you will always have a chance to find something new you're really into. And there's always free shipping, easy returns, and no hassles ever. You can unbox something new every month in a club hundreds of thousands strong. To get 20% off of your monthly subscription to Bespoke Post, use code CaseyAndRay20 at checkout. That's code CaseyAndRay20 at checkout. This is a great idea for your dad. Father's Day is coming up. Check it out. BespokePost.com and use code CaseyAndRay20 at checkout. CaseyAndRay20. Two zero at checkout. This podcast is part of the Deluxe Edition Network. To find other great shows on the network, head over to deluxeeditionnetwork.com. That's deluxeeditionnetwork.com. to this week's episode of Deluxe Edition. I am your host, Casey Shearer. Joining me, as always, the Dick Dickster of podcasting, L. Ray Sexton. What's going on, Casey? Not too much, buddy. Uh, we just had another great interview with uh, Zach Ward. We'll get right into it right after the quick house cleaning. Mm-hmm. We are a part of the Deluxe Edition Network. You can find all the other great shows on the network over at deluxeeditionnetwork.com. And the podcasts of the month this month are Barrel-Aged Chicks and Deep Dark Secrets. Check them out. If you want to support our show, you can come over to patreon.com slash deluxeeditionpod. Go check out all of the great things Ray has been doing on our Instagram page at Deluxe Edition Pod. And you can follow us on Twitter, but you're not going to see much happening over there because I have kind of given up. (laughs) You can find all of our previous episodes over at DeluxeEdition.show. If you like this interview with Zach, come check out all of our previous interviews over at DeluxeEdition.show. Ray, where can people find you, buddy? They can find me right here on Sunday nights. You have any? Where'd you get that cool shirt? Uh, This is one of my official bootlegs from uh, the Tencent Beer Night podcast T Public store, which, uh, you know, you can get this one. It's still available. I have not got the cease and desist yet from Casey on the the bootleg merchandise. (laughs) No, you won't. And uh, you'll actually find a link to those shirts down in the uh, show notes 
Ray's been posting a lot of uh, a lot of cool pictures of uh, a lot of a lot of people have been buying those tank tops up, Ray, that you've been talking about, right? Yes, sir. And with Father's Day right around the corner, your dad does not want a tie. He does not want a wallet. He does not need new shoes. You know what he wants? He wants you to buy all your hot friends deluxe edition white tank tops, the sporty ones. Don't get the, the shitty male version for your hot, you know, chick friends. Get the they have a female version. It's nice. So yeah. What dad wants, he wants all your hot friends to be in tank tops this summer. Make it happen. Yeah, or if you don't want to get your dad uh, and all of his hot friends a tank top, you could go to bespokepost.com and use code KCNRay20 at checkout and get your dad a cool subscription box for Father's Day. He'll like it. All right, Ray. Here's our interview with Zach Ward. What's going on, dude? Hey guys, how you doing? Good. Pretty good, man. It's a cool little background you got going on there. Uh, it's my office, so I just uh, put shit around me from different movies, and then it looks interesting and magic. Cool. Well, what's it? What is that stuff from? Um, these are food dogs. They're from the movie I just directed called Patsy Lee and the Keepers of the Five Kingdoms. And then let's see. Uh, this is from a short film that I directed. Uh, this is from a movie I was in that's horrible called Monster Mutt. That's from uh, Transformers. That's from Z Nation. Uh, that's from Titus. That's from A Christmas Story. That's from Ashton Circus. I was a rigger in the circus when I was uh, 19 years old. I worked in Australia Circus. Uh, that's actually a Ouija board from 1915 that was found all uh, during construction, and I used it as a basis for movie concept called restoration um what else let's see uh dark cool stuff. a lot cooler than my stuff uh there's the book of the venture brothers i don't know if you're fans of the venture brothers i fucking love that cartoon uh there's a couple awards for uh from winning for writing picture of me and my dad um yeah an assortment of stupid shit that doesn't matter to anybody else but me you know <laughs> Office no, it's cool, man. I think people watching this, uh, they're gonna like that. That's some cool. It's filled with these. Just watched Restoration uh, last night or the night before. Great movie, man. Oh, thanks very much. Let's start there. So you you got into writing and and directing all this stuff by yourself, right? Like you have your own production company, right? Yeah, uh, we're live now. Okay, hello everybody. Nice to meet you. I'm yeah, Zach. Well. <laughs> We do a whole intro after this, oh, okay. and like we we just we roll. And if you can do a lot of Photoshop on me to make me look tan, younger, taller, <laughs> more successful, just make it bigger. Do tracking, and so they look huge. That would be great. That would yeah, be just, awesome. Uh, just use all the filters you use for me, Casey. <laughs> um, starting actually, you know. Feature film that I produced was called Don't Blink with Mina Savari, Brian Austin Green, and myself. And uh, so I produced that one, but I didn't write it. And then I was working with James Cullen Brussick, and we wrote a couple of projects together. And then wrote uh, Restoration and, and Bethany together and made two films back to back, which was... Um, Really, really hard <laughs> and really, really difficult. I do like restoration. There's parts of it that I think are great. So, yeah, restoration and Bethany, two micro-budget films that we did that are now out on Amazon Prime. And after that, um, that so that was the first feature that I directed was uh, restoration. Uh, before that was a short film called Experimental. It's on YouTube. And then I just finished uh, a movie called Patsy Lee and the Keepers of the Five Kingdoms. Uh, and that's starring James Hong, Bai Ling, Nabi, George Takei, uh, Dante Basco, Dave Sheridan, uh, Michelle Mao, Matt, uh, Matt Sato, Anna Har. Uh, it's a family adventure film like The Goonies meets Big Trouble in Little China. So based upon Chinese mythology and stylized you know, a movie from the eighties or nineties. So, um, lots of practical effects and, uh, VF as well, but really I'm a practical effects nerd. I like that type of stuff. 
This was yeah, actually yeah, yeah. poster artist is a mate, Paul Shipper. Shipper did the did the poster, and it's really freaking cool, man. It's it's awesome, very classic style of the. So that's what I've been doing, and then my my producing partner and I uh, is Ace Underhill, and we own a studio called Bro Studios, and we are a traditional as well as virtual production studio. So we do normal production like stuff in front of a camera. And then we also do LED, we have LED walls. We have uh, unreal engine set extension. We do star tracker system, motion uh, tracking motion capture as well. The big volume, um, a green screen that has all the star tracking system on it, real time compositing. So yeah, I, I tech nerd as best as I can. So did you go to school for any of that stuff or you just, Learn it yeah, on the fly. I uh, studied at the school of hard knocks, bring <laughs> things up over and over again until I finally kind of got it right. Still working on it. Yeah. No, that's awesome, man. So let's go back to restoration and Bethany. What? Um, I because I watched both of them. Was the same bear it used in Bethany as restoration? That uh... <laughs> no, a different bear. Because that bear that they find in that there it is. <laughs> That's Mr. Tickles right there, and that's the diary. That's Mr. Tickles. They used a different one, one in Bethany. Uh, James Cullen Bressick directed uh, Bethany. I directed Restoration. We basically right. oh, that wrote- diary is a lot smaller than I thought it was in the in the movie. Yeah, well, it depends upon the size of your hands when you're holding it, how big it looks. So we'll probably get back into all that stuff uh, eventually. But I wanted to start out with uh, a cool story that I heard you tell on another show. Um, uh, about getting stoned with Stacy Keach on the, on the set of Titus. Yeah. Um, so Stacy, when we were doing Titus, uh, Stacy was the only actor who was allowed to smoke in his in his um, in his makeup room in his in his room on on the stages. And uh, so I would sneak into his room to have a cigarette, and uh, he offered me. A cigarette and I said no I have my own he goes no not like this you don't and um so I took a hit on the Stacy Keach joint like a dummy and uh we were shooting something called interstitials and what that means is when when the show is doing really well the network promotes it so when you're watching TV on a Wednesday night and they're promoting the new show the want you to watch so you'll be watching i don't know malcolm in the middle or something and the commercials they'll the actors from titus hosting the commercials like hey that was a great episode of malcolm in the middle what's coming up next so that you're constantly being doped with the other show so they're promoting their own commercial bandwidth and those are called interstitials so you do a bunch of these little sketch sketches and uh, all the studio executives showed up and so I had smoked a little bit of this weed uh, and nearly immediately regretted it because it was just right to the brain. And as you can tell, I do not have big eyes to start off with. And so they were the size of pinholes and bright red. And I walked up to Stacy Keach on set and I was just feeling paranoid and really high. Uh, totally inappropriate. Kids don't do. You have to be of legal age. Listen to your parents. This is just an actor being an idiot, and I regret it, but it's hilarious. Uh, and I walk up to uh, Stacy Keach, and I'm like, Stacy, Stacy, do I look high? And he looks at me, oh, yeah. um, and I'm like, well, why'd you give me that? And he goes, son, if you can't take the heat, get out of the kitchen. And he just walks on the set, and uh, I'm, I'm trying my best not to lose my crap. And, uh, you know, it was that old famous line. Hey, Zach, you okay? Oh, the allergies. Allergies mm. <laughs> in here. We had, must be, must be spring. Winter, Zach. Oh, must be the, must be the air conditioning, you know, just having to push through it. But yeah, learn that lesson fast. Don't, don't get high when you're working. <laughs> now, have you, did you get high before that? Or were you just like, I got to get high. I have to smoke weed with Stacy Keach. It's Stacy Keach, man. Like, even though he played my dad and I was all the time, it doesn't mean that you're not still, I mean, ask anybody who worked with Elvis. I'm not saying Stacey Keach is Elvis, but 
I hate all this. Legendary actor, great human being, amazing uh, musician, and just an honor to be around the guy. So when he passes you a joint like it's nothing, you don't want to be not cool. <laughs> you, want, you want him to like you, you know. I mean, he liked me, but I didn't want to. No, no, I'm preparing for my role. I must take it uh, seriously. I didn't want to. <laughs> I, uh, what can I say? I screwed up. I screwed up. But yeah, good story out of it. <laughs> really good story. Yeah. Yeah. We had, uh, we had Tommy Chong on the podcast, and I was like, I was too lazy to move all this shit outside so I could smoke a joint, like say that I smoked a joint with Tommy Chong, kind of, sort of. But I was like, right. and then as soon as we started the podcast, he's like, you know, you guys don't mind if I light up there. I was like, son of a bitch. The other side of that is, too, you don't want Stacy Keach telling the story that you refuse to smoke weed with him. There's that, right? I, I think he's too much of a gentleman to actually ever throw me underneath the, the nerd bus. I don't think he'd do that. But, yeah, I yeah, I don't want it to be the way he remembers me. I, you know. <laughs> now, is that the same show that Faye Dunaway was supposed to be hired on? The, yeah. On yeah. Titus. But, but that episode that... That no, he was I don't or... remember which. No, it wasn't the interstitials. It, I can't. It was a third season, and Faye Dunaway was supposed to come on, and mom had multiple people play the uh, the mom, and she was supposed to come on and play it, and it caused a lot of problems on the show. It basically got the show canceled, which is too bad. Wow. So she's really that hard to work with. I can't. I I can't say that. That's not fair for me to say because she really, um, I never with her that way. I, you know, I was not a creative control guy. I was just little monkey actor boy making the funny, funny. <laughs> so I was not in charge of anything. I, I did what I was told. I made lines funny. I did. I, I learned a lot and, um, did where I could, but I was never in charge of who did what, uh, for Titus, Brian Hargrove, Jack Kenny, and then the studio executives and they wanted um, they wanted to be the mom. And um, she kept on walking up and saying, well, I'm not this, 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 and this. And it's like that, but that's the show. So she had a lot of uh, conflict issues. Face it, dating sucked in your 20s, gets worse in your 30s, and your 40s, forget it. It's a cesspool out there, and we're your flotation device. Join us weekly for saucy chat, ridiculous love gurus, and MILF-worthy fun to spice up your life. The MILF MILF and and Me Podcast. Podcast. Every Wednesday on your favorite pod platform. And the MILFandMePod.com. The MILF MILF and and Me Podcast. So when you were a kid growing up, you, you wanted to be an actor. Was was that because of your mom? Because your mom was an actress uh, and did a lot of voiceover stuff as well. Yeah. I mean, I was exposed to the world. I, um, I saw how people did it. I saw how they worked together. I grew up traveling with her, going to different states and different cities when she was performing in different plays, or I'd be on set when she was filming commercials or TV shows. And it was really the exposure to the entire environment where you you start understanding it. You start seeing how it all works. You know, I guess if someone followed you guys around watching you make a podcast, they'd see the end result and the work that goes into it. Then they start having an opinion about ideas on what, right? Because then they grasp how it works. So that was the same process I went through. And then, you know, I thought I could do it. And obviously I was eight years, I was eight years old at the time. So obviously I had no idea what I was thinking about, but that's the joy of being young and, and, uh, full of yourself is that you give things a shot. So that's what started me off. Um, started doing commercials when I was 10 years old, did, uh, three or four of them. And then my first movie audition was a Christmas story and then uh, role. And then Skep Farkas went from being the sidekick to the lead bully. Cause I was about a foot taller than Yano Anaya. And then I did Christmas story and nobody cared and it came out and it went and it, nobody gave a crap. Um, and I just kept on working in Toronto, Canada. And I think the benefit of that is I never had a star system where, um, you know, like the kids in Hollywood who do a TV show and then blow up worldwide and they're treated like dead and, uh, have, you know, are doing cocaine parties by the time they're 15 or whatever. 
Uh, I never had any of that experience. Um, couldn't afford the cocaine, you know, sadly. <laughs> Kidding. Um, so, yeah, that was my I experience. I couldn't afford coke either, and I did a fucking shitload of it. <laughs> so growing up in Canada, working there, and then moving to Los Angeles when I was 25. So, yeah. That was going to be one of my questions, because I wasn't sure of the timeline. I knew that you had done uh, a new Christmas story was your first movie, but I didn't know if you were at, you were doing a little bit of acting in Canada before that, right? I was acting consistently. I mean, I was doing commercials and guest stars and TV shows and movies of the week. And like, you know, I up pretty fast not to be uh, sound arrogant about it, but there wasn't, you know, in Toronto, there was only so many people of the age that matched those roles. So when you're playing young hooligan, there's only so many people available back then. And how many of those will actually be any good? And obviously, I had the benefit of growing up watching my mother perform. And my mother's a respected Canadian actress and being surrounded by good actors. Like, if you're somebody who wants to be an actor and your mom works in a hospital and your dad is a plumber, uh, nothing against them. But they're not really going to be able to help you and guide you. And only experience you'll have with acting is what you see on TV or in so you don't get to see the behind-the-scenes process of how it uh, goes from the work to the finished product. But I did. So I, I got to break it down early age. So it allowed me I, – I think it gave me a very keen advantage, uh, which I used to my benefit. And because of that, I booked a lot of work all the time. And also I think there's a lot of it has to do with just being – you know, having red hair and being an odd looking duck, you know, uh, honestly, there's a lot of really good looking guys and they've got to fight against, they've got to audition against other really good looking guys. I don't, I'm not a good looking guy. You know, like when you think of Josh Dumel, that's a really good looking guy into auditions for the good looking guy. And I know I'm not going to get it. I mean, I just don't fill that category. I feel the quirky guy is a good-looking guy's best friend or the guy who, who's, who's funny or the guy who's going to try and kill him, right? I'm one of those. But the good-looking guys, man, it's just weird. You walk into a room for the leading man audition and there's like 20 of these dudes and they're all gorgeous and they're just looking at each other and they're all competition. There, you literally can't tell them apart, um, and I—that's got to be hard, you know. That's got to be really rough. There's not a lot of redheads, so I definitely had that advantage, and I definitely had the advantage of growing up in it and having my mom know so much about it as she did, and she was trained at uh, RADA, Royal America, uh, Royal Academy of Dramatic Acting in England, so she had a real background of being a legitimate performer. So I took all those benefits and used them as best I could. She didn't want you to get into acting, though. Why do you think that was? Do you think it was maybe because it's like she didn't want you getting your hurt, your feelings hurt because of all the uh, oh, denial I think it's and stuff? Because she knew how how stupid acting can be, you know, especially back then. Not like you're in charge of your future very much. Like the world that we're in right now, I don't think I ever would have been able to predict that I'd be producing and writing and directing and editing feature films and, and pitching TV shows and every aspect of the industry I'm involved in, not because I'm a genius by any stretch of the imagination, just because I, I'm constantly working in the industry. That is the only thing I really know. And I've been able to get educated on the other parts of the process in order to turn that into a revenue stream. Yes. I'm passionate about it. If someone said, Zach, we've got you a new series where you're the second lead or the star of it or supporting and you've got 20 episodes a season and you're making 50 grand an episode, would I be that driven to write scripts and learn Premiere Pro and DaVinci and study After Effects? And probably not. You know what I mean? So, um, 
back then, I think she wanted me out. She didn't want me to get into it because she knew enough to understand how volatile and how mercurial it can be. You know, uh, everybody wants you. Nobody cares who you are. Then everybody is interested. Then everybody wants you. Then everybody wants your type. And then are you again? You know, that's that's what happens. I understood that. But she wasn't able to convey um, the warning well enough. But my older brother convinced her to let me give it a shot. And so I, I blame him. It's all his fault. Is he in acting at all? He is a uh, grip. He's a rigging grip. Okay. So he's in Toronto. He sets up uh, amazing uh, rigs that go above this, uh, that build up the stages and set up all the lights. And he makes sure people are safe and the DPs can get the incredible shots and the cameras can do incredible things. Uh, he was a lead rigging grip on the TV series Hannibal in Toronto. And he's done a lot of amazing stuff. So uh, he's one of those guys who walks on the edge of a building with a small little rope around his waist and peers over and uh, doesn't puke and freak out. Whereas I would just be crying like a baby. So he's, he's got, he's got stones of steel, that guy. So what, what took you to LA that you were making money in Canada working steady and then you moved to LA and you basically had to start over, right? Yeah. I was doing a TV series called Boogie's Diner, uh, which was a piece of crap. If you can find, uh, pictures of that. You should pop that up. Um, James uh, James Marsden was in it. Um, it was like a Saved by the Bell style show, and it was really not very good. But it was regular work, and I just felt like I had hit a ceiling in Toronto, uh, and I wanted to go give it a shot. So yeah, I came to LA and started it over. And uh, was sharing a room at my dad's house with my little brother, who was like eight at the time. And uh, yeah, it was brutal. It's brutal. But, you know, it's uh, the right thing to do when you're 25. Is that still like the thing? Move to L.A. or or New York for? No, I don't think so. I I don't think so. I think there's different ways to create parts of uh, a community nowadays because of the Internet, the speed of the Internet, the access to tools you have. You're doing a podcast from your house. I'm in my house. So uh, if I was a young actor, I would be going around other actors who are much better than me every chance I get. You know, surround yourself, immerse yourself in the process, and at the same time, create whatever you can, writing, directing, shooting it, putting it up on the screen. It depends upon what part of the process you want to be involved in. Like, you know, let's be honest, if you're a 20 year old boy and girl and you're blossoming into whatever type of hotness you're going to have, whatever your niche is, you're really going to be the best you're ever going to be in those 20, in those 10 years between 20 and 30, right? That's going to be you popping. So however you see it, you need to invest yourself in that time. Like the one thing I would say, don't, uh, I would say, uh, don't drink, don't get stoned, uh, focus on work. Don't focus on getting laid, focus on making yourself become the person you want to be because that will pay off for decades. Whereas getting drunk, stoned and laid will pay off, uh, for about four hours and then you're empty and start and adding it. You lose time and then you'll be decades older going on. Oh, damn it. If I had only put the bottle down and picked up a pen or a camera or taken a class or done something that with my life that was valuable as opposed to trying to deal with my groin, you know, it's all those things that just don't matter. That's how we ended up podcasters, Casey. (laughs) Looks I was going to say, it looks like we're out. Yeah. Yeah. That would have been good advice at uh, 20. Yeah, you know. Where were you 20 years ago, Zach? I was drinking. Yeah. <laughs> I was drinking and I was working. Yeah. You're still acting, but you, you do. Let's get back into your own project. So I heard you talk about um, spending years trying to find money to make your first project. Yeah. That's um, what was that like? What, what's that process like? That process is... Uh, 
exhausting. It's really hard, especially back then where the internet was not the same thing it is now. So you check up on people to see if they were lying. Yeah, it took about seven years to raise the money for the first project. Yeah, the education of that was being lied to over and over again and having people waste your time. Yeah, that sucked. It's different now. Like, you know, we did restoration on a $75,000 budget and posted it for 15 grand. So that's a total 90 grand movie, dude. And it's on Amazon Prime uh, and it's made its money back. And I, I don't think it's a genius movie. I think there's certain shots in there that work really well. There's certain moments that play. Well. Um, there's other things that I go, meh, could have done better. The VFX, ugh. I mean, you got to be your own worst critic. Let's be honest. Like the, the movie I just finished, Patsy Lee and the Keepers of the Five Kingdoms, I'm very proud of. I love it. I think it's a great film. I think it's got a great heart. When we shot that, we weren't using an LED wall. We weren't using a volume, a green screen volume with Ultimat and real-time comping and Unreal Engine on the stage. If I was going to make that exact movie again right now, I'd make it totally differently because of the education. So. I think whatever you do, like, hmm. it was harder for me because I knew so little because I did not have access to information. Now that you have access to information, it's not only easier to vet your potential investors and learn the proper way to do it so you don't waste your time on liars and douchebags. But also, uh, there's a lot more technology out there that makes this all so much easier. For example, DaVinci Resolve. You can download DaVinci Resolve for free, and that's not the studio level, but the things that you need at the studio level, you don't need right now. So on DaVinci Resolve, you're getting the editing, you're getting the color, you're getting the sound, you're getting the VFX, all in one software for zero. That's insane, dude. And the type of stuff that you can do in that is just miraculous. So you could sit there and make... Fifteen twenty thousand dollar movie, and you can sell it, and you can be a filmmaker, and it might suck ass, but it'll exist instead of just being something you talk about at parties. So that's the, that's the big difference. Yeah, it, 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 the people can make whatever they want to make as long as they have the balls to make it, and they're more interested in making things than just talking about it. Yeah. And going back to restoration, you, you said it was what a 90,000, you made that on $90,000, right? Like you're, you're the only actor in that movie that I knew, like you're the, yeah. and, and the acting is really good also. I mean, it's, so it's all unknown actors. Good that, job. Yeah. They did a great job. Thank you. I appreciate that. My mom's in that. My mom's a crazy old woman uh, holding Mr. Yeah. Tickles. You know, when I looked, when I was looking up, everything today over everything today i looked up a picture of your mom and i was like man she looks really familiar like i just I, like i was like i just saw her in something i can't remember what it was uh, i smoke a lot of weed so it was <laughs> it was that movie that's awesome that's awesome yeah she was great in that she was great yeah let's talk about bethany a little bit too so not the same bear as restoration but uh working with tom green and shannon darty because this was after a restoration, right? So you start getting a couple more well-known actresses and actors in your movie. Well, that, that was James Cullen Brussick. He, he had met up with Shannon. I can't remember how him and Shannon are really close friends. Uh, he had met up with Tom green and invited him to be part of the shoot. And since it was a, such a short shoot, Tom didn't have a problem with it. Originally I was not supposed to be in it, <laughs> but we couldn't find anybody for the role. <laughs> so I was like, Damn it. Um, so, yeah, I play the idiot husband and I look like a tool the entire time. It's one of those movies where I watch it like I'm like, uh, I look like such a dick. OK. OK. Cool. Gee, great. Yeah. That's one of the things I like about you uh, so much, man, is how like, you know, if you make like not I mean, Bethany was a great movie also, but like you, you're like. I don't know, like Postal. I heard you talk about Postal, about how like how that's not a great movie, like how how things could have been done differently in it. And I've only yeah. seen a little bit of it. I only started watching a little bit of it today. I love that about you. Is like you're you're like yeah, that's a shit movie. <laughs> you know, it, you don't want to be too disparaging because 
something exists out of nothing. But at, at, whereas most people will just talk and never do anything and just, well, what I thought was this is like, okay, have you ever made anything? No. Okay. You have a right to your opinion, but let's just put it in the proper category. You've never done anything, which you still have a right to your opinion. Absolutely. But, but you should lead with that. Like I can't sing. I don't write music. I don't play instruments. I can say I don't like that song, but I don't do any of those things. So I know I can't pick up a guitar and start yodeling or whatever. Um, (laughs) You know, talking about uh, postal. It was really hard because I was a lead of the film and that was a big opportunity. And I think it got, I think the opportunity was lost in this sense of the editing was really, really flat. And there was just a lot of small, bad decisions made. And I, I really like Uva Bowl. He's a really nice, kind man. And I'm very grateful for the opportunity that he's given me uh, to me on those, op- on those films. But I, I feel like what the, what the film could have been and what it was, the difference is just the quality of the editing and the color correction and the polish. Hmm. That's it. See, I like that movie. I saw it originally because Dave Foley was in it, who I really right. like a lot. And I thought your two characters were were well done, but I kind of got the same feeling that uh, a little more could have been done with it. And it is based off a video game. Let's be honest. Well, no, it's not. I mean, that's not really fair because there are some like Tomb Raiders video games. So I, I, I think I think that point of contention is is irrelevant now. Look, a video game is a story base. That's it. You know, a Hobbit needs to drop a ring in a in a volcano. Off you go. So, um, my, I guess the difference is I had my expectations going into Postal, having read the script having character, having choreographed the fight scenes, having shot on set, having known the coverage that we got and how I, back then I didn't edit. Actually it was because of Postal that I got into editing because I was so pissed off at the bad editing that I, I wanted to make a difference. So when I saw it, I was so disappointed because I had an expectation. And that's the difference between me and an audience member who goes in going, ah, I don't know anything. It is what it is. Not, you know, there's another uh, three minutes of footage that would have been great cutaways inserted into that would have kept the exact same timeline and length of the scene, but it would have been like, pow, 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 pow instead of like, boom, eh, boom, eh, finale, which yeah. If the audience is ahead of the movie, then the story and the editing is not working. Hmm. If you exactly. know the punchline before I tell it to you, you don't laugh. You go, oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. Nowadays, you see a lot of directors, though, that immediately, like a movie, they're like, well, I left a lot on the cutting room floor. If they just let me make my director's cut, this movie would be a lot better. You see a lot of that happening now. Sure. Uh, yeah you do but I, and like I'm saying I'm, I don't think the movie needed to be any longer I think it was just in the style of the edit you know especially I had just come off of Titus and so I had spent three years doing the Titus TV series uh, we finished in 2001 and we shot that 2006 and you know when you spend three years 54 episodes of comedy, your brain is wired for comedy. Like that's how you think, man. You think punchline, 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 which is an incredible opportunity. Like if you, if you think of your brain, like, uh, like an AI that is being uh, programmed to perceive things in a certain way, then throughout that process, more nimble and quick on certain topics. Right. And for me, comedy was something that I had gotten honed to a razor's edge by Jack Kenny and Brian Hargrove and Christopher Titus. And that's a rare opportunity in life. And then coming to the set and working with uh, Uva, who I like very much, but I will say straight 
to the face of any German, you're not a funny people. Your Germans are, do not make great stand-up comedians, bro. There's, I Name one. I think there's the guy who is in the Suicide Squad remake who's like throws the lance or the uh, – yeah, I think there's one dude. Germans are not funny people. So, um, yeah, they didn't know comedy. They didn't know comedy beats, and they didn't know how to work it. And that's that's a real skill set. Like, you know, I, I I write and I direct and I produce. I don't know how to run a camera. I can't pick up an Alexa or a Ursa or a, a, a Komodo and dial it in so that the shot looks good. I don't have a and I would fuck it all up. So I have a DP for that. That's their job. So when I'm going into something that I am not an expert at, like I studied stand-up striking, jikundo, taekwondo, fencing, boxing. I don't know how to do jiu-jitsu at all. I've seen it, but I don't know how to roll. So I get somebody who does that. And especially if you have money. You hire people who are comedy editors. You hire people who are comedy writers to help you get the thing done or don't say it's a comedy. So that was my frustration with it. And like, you know, for you, it's, it's a movie that you watched. For me, it was the opportunity to be the star of a movie and that quirky redhead guys don't usually get. So it was a heartbreaker. I'm over it, obviously, now, but almost 20 years later. But, you know, I look at it through that lens of what I hope for it to be ended up being and where I thought it was missing. So, yeah. Was the game first? I, I thought the game was oh, after. Yeah. No, the game was way before. Way before. Oh, wow. Yeah. Now, I, didn't, I didn't know anything about this movie until just a couple of weeks ago. Working on Titus in front of a studio audience of over 500 people. Had you yeah. worked in front of an audience like that before? No, no. It was awesome. It was fantastic. The way I try to relate it to people is if you ever go to the beach, right? And you walked into the water with your pants up or your, you know, your swimming trunks on. So you could, and there's waves and you can feel the waves hitting your legs and you close your eyes and you could feel that that momentum and that energy going across your legs on the, with the waves. Right. And so you can kind of gauge how not to fall back or whatever. That's how it feels with an audience with comedy when they're into your shit and you're hitting those beats. I mean, the writers were fantastic. So I got to give all credit to the writers. And then as a performer up there, you've got this great material and this great cast. And not only are they, watching you from their chairs, but got monitors above them. So there's a close-up of you like this. So if you make a little facial expression that's funny, that is a reaction to somebody's line, you'll get a huge laugh from the audience because they're dialed into the micro expressions that you're making. So now you're literally listening to the person you're working with, you're acting with, staying in the scene, but at the same time reacting in such a way that you know the audience is reacting to the what they said and then your reaction and you're playing off of it how long that lasts to be. It was an incredible experience. It was great. Is the live audience seeing basically what the television audience is seeing? Like even because we talked to uh <clears throat> Michael Campion from Fuller House and he said that like when they were when they would do a scene that like wasn't on studio, they would play that on a screen so this so that the audience could still see it. Was it the same thing with Titus? Yeah. Yeah. All We didn't have a laugh track. Everything came from a live audience. Very cool. Yeah. That's cool. All right. Uh, I have a, a couple last questions here for you. You worked with a few of our previous guests. Let's start with George Booza on Maniac Mansion. Do you remember that? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, rem I vaguely remember Maniac Mansion from Toronto. Oh, yeah. I never knew. I'm sorry. I forgot his name. That guy's legend. What a cool dude. Yeah, in Canada. I mean, I know the face. I didn't know the name, which is probably how most people know me. Um, <laughs> hey, it's fine. He's awesome. What a what a sweetheart, awesome human being. 
Great guy. Legend. All right. Uh, how about Mark Singer from uh, Lancelot, the movie Lancelot? <laughs> uh, I vaguely remember Lancelot. It's one of the first things I did when I got to L.A. And it I never saw the film. I've never seen it. I don't even <laughs> no. know if I'm in it anymore. Uh, you Lancelot, are. Guardian of Time, was it? Yes. Yeah, of course. Yes. I had team. to. Uh, I had to. I had to watch it because I'm pretty good friends with Mark Singer now, and because you were in it. And uh, you don't don't put it on your list. You're not missing anything. And Mark Mark won't be offended by me saying that either. But you are in it. I got once I got to your part, I I turned it off. Mark Singer, Beastmaster. Come on, yeah. dude. Yeah. Again, another legend. Another legend. That's fucking cool. Oh yeah, and then of course uh, Scott Schwartz from A Christmas Story and yep. A Christmas Story Christmas. Still, um, did you ever think? Ever think? Uh, how many years later? Twenty nine years later. Forty, bro. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. Where did I get twenty nine from? Holy shit. No Forty idea. fucking years. Yeah, that's how that's how time works. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Smoke another one, Casey. Yeah. Yeah, you, you can edit that out <laughs> later, so you don't. Sound no, leave that in. He looks like an idiot. That's fine. That's <laughs> uh, also, you had Ed Begley Jr. on there. Yep. Yeah. Did you work with Ed? Uh, Ed was on the the TV show Titus, and there's a clip. Uh, I've told the story before. So, uh, what is her? Uh, Frances Fisher, mom, and there's a, where she's taken Ed Begley Jr. hostage. And earlier in the show. Um, we're talking about someone being quirky, like, you know, shooting their mom is like, no, quirky is when you, when you fart in church or something, you know? And so this scene happens later on in the episode and, uh, Francis Fisher uh, has one of these moments that happens to all actors, but not when you're not used to dealing with a 500 person plus live audience. Cause I remember the first <laughs> pilot episode, I about crapped my pants, dude. Like I was just terrified chris titus very experienced with live audiences didn't fluster him at all uh cynthia watros from doing soap operas just a champion stacy keach is stacy david chatra just a you know par excellent professional me uh i was terrified so (laughs) um then cut two years later we're doing this episode francis fisher and she hits vapor lock which means so she she stumbles a line, everything has to stop. I'm like, okay, we're gonna get like, sorry, sorry. So we cut, reset, going again. Oh, it's fine, it's fine. We go again. She she fucks up the line worse. And now everyone's like, it's okay, it's okay. But you can see in their eyes, like, okay, you're a professional, get your shit done, right? Like there's a subtext of shit. And she's like, ha, ha, ha. But you can see it's coming up in her eyes. Like she's getting nervous and she's getting in her head. And then it happens again. And now everybody's trying to be polite, but the audience is getting restless. They don't know that. And I can see in her eyes fear. Like she needs a break. eh? So now we're doing the scene for the fourth time. And it gets to this line. And she's starting to say her line and she's starting to stumble and she's looking over at me and she needs a lifesaver. She needs something to distract, to get it off of her so she can take a breath and reset herself. And I see it. So I throw myself on the grenade and I fart as loud as I can. And I mean, I... I almost busted an O-ring pushing that sucker out and I fart and I go, I'm quirky. And (laughs) the audience loses their shit. And Ed Begley is tied to a chair. He looks at me and they're hopping away and it is epic. And she looks at me and goes, right. And I feel like, I've done a good thing. I'm a good person with what I use my, I, I use my, my farts for good. And, uh, but you know, no good deed goes unpunished. And, uh, 
few years after the Titus show has ended, uh, I see that there's a bloopers and practical jokes episode on Fox. <laughs> and sure enough, they have me farting. <laughs> so not only was it in front of 500 plus people on a take that was never used, but now it's broadcast across the entire country. Uh, fuck my life, bro. You know, <laughs> like, what the hell? I, I was the hero for a second, and now I'm just some random farter. And, yeah. Yeah, but she'll always remember you for saving her. <laughs> <laughs> there he is, fart man. Hello. <laughs> How much rehearsal goes into those tapings? Uh, oh, we for say we're doing an episode and the week before we do the table read of the episode on a Thursday um, at lunch. Then we're finishing up that week. We're finishing up the prior episode that Saturday. Well, that's finished off on Friday. On Saturday, we get a new script for the forthcoming running it Saturday, Sunday, Monday, you come in. Uh, nine o'clock in the morning table read for about 45 minutes. Then you get it up on his feet and you start walking the set going blah, 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 blah. You do that to lunch after lunch. You do one more walkthrough, beat it. And then you have the uh, producers, showrunners show up. Showrunners are the big writers, Chris, uh, 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 Brian Hargrove, Jack Kenny. They show up with the other writers and you, and they see what works and what doesn't you go home. Later on that evening, about nine o'clock at night, you'll have a brand new script. You'll have a lot of your lines changed. There may be some story points changed. And the, uh, in the morning, you do another table read of this newer script. There's still stuff that's from the original. And then you do a table read of it. You put it up on his feet. You do a run through before lunch. You get notes. You get tweak it out. You do a run through after lunch. That's Tuesday. Wednesday, you shoot. Uh, Chris Titus shoots the flashbacks. The, sorry, the neutral space. So that's all Chris Titus's stuff. Meanwhile, the writers are prepping uh, the new version. So you've gotten a new version of that script Tuesday night or Wednesday morning. You as the actor are running that all on Wednesday. Then you come in on Thursday. Thursday, you do the table read for the script for the coming week. You're uh, prepping the scenes that are flashbacks. So those are all uh, different sets and different timelines right you're doing that after you finish that you do a rough little table read of the brand new script script that you have which is probably version five or six then you come in on friday um and you do a table read of the newest draft of the script with everybody just quickly walking through it um and then you might get some new notes then you go to hair and makeup all that stuff and you uh, come out, you do another run through of it and they give you, they go, great. Here's a couple of new notes on that. Go back, run it. Then they set the setup. All the actors come in, uh, the audience comes in and then you do the first pass of the show. People sit in the audience. They look up the big screen. They got the, uh, the uh, opening credits. They got Chris Titus in the neutral space, which is the black and then it goes to the flashback, neutral space, flashback, neutral space, it's live. We step out on set, on the, on the stage. We do the performance, four cameras, A, B, C, and X, blah, 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 and freeze and goes to the uh, the monitors again, back and forth and back and forth, and action. And we do the entire show in roughly about 40 minutes. And then we say, thank you very much. Everybody laughs. We fuck up. We fuck off upstairs. Meanwhile, the audience is watching another episode that we shot the week before that's been edited. While we're upstairs, we've got minutes to get all the new notes from the writers. And it was easier in the third season because by that time, you're like, whatever we all laughed at was the right way to go. So then you might get like 10 or 15 new line changes. You sit down, you rehearse that. You got 22 minutes left. You go downstairs and you do the entire show all over with these new lines. And you have or if there's a punchline, then you're waiting one, two, three response because you have to have a lag in there for the audience to be able to laugh or they won't hear the shit. So you got to have time for your punchline. So we finished that. We wave goodbye to everybody. The audience leaves and they go, okay, here's our pickups. Boom, boom, boom. I hear some new lines. Bing, bang, boom. Here we go. Insert, 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 insert. And done. You're out by 11 o'clock at night. 
I'm exhausted just listening to you explain that. Holy shit. Dude, it was so much fun. If someone and to get paid for it like that, I made great money. I didn't make big boy money, but I made the best money I ever made and the best fun I ever had. And the, I mean, there's nothing like being paid to be funny with a lovable character. Ah, oh, it's great. It's like, you're the cowardly lion. It's just awesome. It was awesome. And it's intimidating when I tell you now, but when you're in it with a team of people who are all better than you, and trying to help you be the best you can, it's a glorious gift. It's awesome. So, yeah, that's that's how that rolls. Do you miss that process? Oh, no. Over... Does it sound like I miss that process? <laughs> did, did you not notice that? What the fuck is wrong with you, son? No, I don't want to be paid tons of money to be funny and lovable. Eat a dick. What's wrong with you? He already explained. No, it. I'd rather be doing podcasts on a Sunday. <laughs> I'm. Wow. I meant the making your own fucking I movies. What I got to deal with. <laughs> Look at this. It's crazy. <laughs> the process of that versus making your own movies. Oh my god, making your own movies fucking sucks. It sucks. Existing. <laughs> And nobody cares. You work your heart off. You you kill yourself. And people go, yes, I want it done. You're like, oh, my God, I hate you. I hate you so much. Yeah, it sucks. Yeah, I'd much rather be doing that. Hmm. Yeah. So, so the advice you gave people to go out and make a movie before was just a lie. You really mean. No, hey, let's think about it this way. A, go fuck yourself. <laughs> Two, B, think about it this way. They're roughly about, let's say, 100,000 after members, right? Out of 100,000 of them, how many can you name? Maybe 0.01%, How making over a million dollars a year? How many are making over 100 grand a year? Right? Yeah. Hmm. Many people get to be on shows that are network sitcoms that are good? Not many. Not many. Yeah. In, in the history of television, in the history of cinema, there's damn few. And how many actually continue going? We got canceled after three seasons, mostly because of. That woman who was going to be the, uh, the mom. And then it caused a massive conflict with the network. But, you know, it is rare air. It's, it's like the same thing is going, well, I'm going to grow up to become LeBron James. Eh, <laughs> eh, there's a lot of X factors there, man. You know, like, I wish you the best of luck, but the odds are highly, highly, highly against you. So the opportunity you have now is not to have to wait on someone to give you an opportunity, but generate an opportunity for yourself. Pick up your camera and film something and do something cool with it and be experimenting with your own skill set without having to wait on a gazillion dollar studio to approve of you. Huge. So, yeah, do that. And if you can get the sitcom, yeah, do both. But they don't usually come along. You know, I, I haven't had not another sitcom since. And as we can tell, I'm hilarious. So we don't know why, right? <laughs> no, we don't. Ray, what did I miss, buddy? Uh, let's see. Devil's Tomb. There's a lot of big stars in that movie with you. Yeah, that was fun. That you got any good, good Cuba Gooding Jr. or Ron Perlman or... Henry Rollins or Bill Mosley, they're all in that movie. Any good stories about that bunch? Uh, uh, Henry Rollins, sweetheart of a man. Uh, it's such a pleasure to meet him. Huge fan. I totally fanboyed, hard to put words together, and he was just a gentleman. Such a pleasure. Ron Perlman, exactly the same way. Uh, my God, that guy has a head. I mean, I don't mean metaphorically. I mean, it's physically, it's a big head, man. Uh, and he 
such a class, and his his voice is so good. Uh, Cuban Gooding, Cuba Gooding Jr. I had met years and years earlier. Uh, just a really nice guy, so we know each other from back in the day, right before he got um, Boys in the Hood. I had uh, I had met him through a friend of mine here in L.A. Uh, it was after Boys in the Hood, but before Jerry Maguire. Um, and then uh, lots of great special effects in that. I worked with a friend of mine, Jerry Constantine, on that movie, the, covering me in disgusting, blistering pustules of grossosity. So that was really fun. And what else? Uh, what else? Let's see. Uh, Ed, the movie with the monkey. <laughs> yeah. Ed, the chimpanzee that plays thir- third base, originally named Mickey Mantle's Monkey with uh, Matt LeBlanc. Yeah. Um, that was like the first big movie I did when I got to Los Angeles. Um, I don't know anything about baseball. I grew up not playing. I went to eight different schools before junior high. My dad, I was raised by my mom. My father lived in California. I didn't play. My mom didn't play sports, so I didn't sports. I into bong and all that stuff. And then uh, learning how to try and play third base for this thing. Um, <laughs> my dad, I was staying with my father, and he was uh, throwing a ball to me. And I wouldn't say he was great at it, but I sucked. Took my eyes off the ball. Got hit right in the mouth uh, with a baseball. Looked like one of those women from the uh, Real Housewives of Beverly Hills with the injections. <laughs> Just big duck lips, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think uh, that covers most of what you've done, except for like Z Nation. Obviously, you're on that. I mean, I've got over 120 features, so we we can keep on going if you want. But it's it's good, it's good. We'll say that's all. Yeah, let's let's just uh, touch on. I mean, we have to touch on Christmas story. The, the what was what was going back 40 years later to make a Christmas story. You guys filmed uh, in Bulgaria, if I'm yeah. correct? Yeah. Um, Bulgaria was great. Uh, it was cold. It's a post-communist country, so it's really um, weird. It looks like a, I sent pictures to my wife, and I was like, it looks like a place where Jason Bourne is about to trade secret documents and then get stabbed by, by a, you know an FBI guy. Like it's It just looks like a place uh, um, nobody speaks English. And if they do, they don't want to talk to Americans because uh, they're kind of dicky. Um, then the Russians invaded Ukraine and then COVID was going on. So I couldn't travel. I don't speak Russian or Bulgarian. I don't drink. I'm not single. There's nothing to buy, and I don't want to be in a restaurant filled with people who have not taken a vaccination, not because of my politics, but because I got tested three to four times a week, bro. And if you – yeah, so if you came COVID positive, you were in lockdown. You were not allowed to leave your hotel room for 15 fucking days. Not only that, but you put production back. So there was nothing for me to do. Uh, I just went to the gym. I got really big. I've lost it since, but I got really nice and big, came home and scared my wife. So that was all. Um, um, yeah, it was good to do it. I, I knew when I was doing it that it was, you know, to appreciate what it was, which was rare air that would never happen again. Seeing these guys having this experience with people you've known for almost 40 years, because this was, 2021, 22, 21. Yeah, no, 22, sorry. Um, and, and I knew it was it was that moment in time that'll never happen again. And to try and soak in it as much as possible and just be calm and be there. In one way, it was really freeing because I was paid to be there. I was nine hours ahead of Los Angeles. So there was really only so much I could do producing-wise on projects back in L.A. I really had to let go of what I couldn't control. And I just went to the gym and I ate. So it was very actually in some ways like very calm. And I hung out with the guys. And I knew it would be over. So it was, it was great. It was cool. 
But we do this segment called Real Questions, and this ties into the question I was going to ask you pretty pretty well. What it is is uh, I ask a question. You have 60 seconds to give me whatever the best answer you got is. Okay, shoot. When we had Scott Schwartz on recently, we talked about the movie, and I said to him, wouldn't it be cool if they took the bar and made a sitcom out of it and brought you guys back to do a sitcom based around the bar where Flick is the owner now. And I thought that would be a really great sitcom. Would you come back and do something like that? Yeah. (laughs) There's your 60 seconds. (laughs) That's perfect though. That means I got, I got two guys that said yes to, to doing that sitcom. Yeah. It'd be fun. Oh yeah. So had you kept in communication? I know Scott, you you have kept in communication with over the forty years because you guys do podcasts together and stuff all the time. But uh, how about like all the other guys? Uh, off and on, Yano and I and I are still really close. Uh, Ian Petrola has been traveling a lot and dealing with his family. Um, Peter Billingsley travels his own path. Um, RD Rob busy with his family, got two kids. Awesome, man. Thanks for taking the time to do this, man. Is there anything that you want to you want to plug where people can find you, your website? Oh, yeah, I have sure. one more question. Hold on. Wait, wait, wait. I have one more question. What is Morlock Machinations? <laughs> Morlock Machinations is the name of uh, my, my company. Uh, Morlock is from um, uh, H.G. Wells' Time Machine. Um, my father had a company in the early 70s. That was based out of a, that was, he set it up in a basement. So the Morlocks in H.G. Wells, the time machine were the people who lived around the Eloy were the elites who lived above the ground. And the Morlocks are the ones, basically the time machine was, um, was a, a metaphor for the distinction between the classes in, in England. Um, and the Morlocks were the workers. And every once in a while, they would come on top of the uh, surface and they'd take one of the Eloy and they'd eat them. So my dad named his company Morlock Leather. And um, machinations means to plot, to create a plan to take over the world type of thing, right? So Morlock Machinations is the name of my company in honor of my father and my plans to take over the world. Very cool, man. Very cool. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to do this. And uh, please tell everyone where they can find you. Sure. On Twitter, it's Total Zach Ward, T O T A L Z A C K W A R D. And the same thing on Instagram. Thanks, man. Thank you, guys. Have a great Sunday. You too. You too, man. See you guys.